You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, where we tell the stories and strategies of everyday millionaires and unveil their portfolio allocations. This is Jace here alongside with my co-host Clark, and this is episode number 81. Last week on the show, we had Dom. Dom is in his early 30s, a young executive with a net worth of just over a million dollars. Dom has a great story from growing up on welfare to becoming a millionaire today. You'll definitely want to check that out. If you're new to the show or whether you've been listening for a while, we appreciate you tuning into the podcast. On this podcast, we share the stories and strategies of everyday millionaires. Our hope is to bring these stories to you and help all of us learn about how these millionaires have achieved success. A special thanks to our sponsor, Equity Multiple, for supporting today's episode. One of the tried and true paths to becoming and staying a millionaire is establishing passive income streams. Perhaps the most tried and true passive income channel for savvy investors is commercial real estate. Equity Multiple connects accredited investors with pre-vetted exclusive commercial real estate investments and invest with investment minimums as low as $10,000. With Equity Multiple, you can allocate a meaningful portion of your portfolio to professionally manage commercial real estate and create a stronger, more diversified portfolio. Head to equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires to learn more. Again, equitymultiple.com forward slash millionaires. Tell them Clark and Jay sent you. If you'd like to invest in our multifamily opportunities, feel free to reach out to us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com and we'll just jump on a call with you to discuss the opportunities and strategy. We partner with a couple groups that have a large track record of, of success and great returns. We have opportunities available now for both accredited and non-accredited investors in different locations throughout the country. Also, once again, we'd love to have you on the show. So if you're interested in being on the show, if you're a millionaire or close to it and like to share your story, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com and we'll get on a call and set something up. On today's show, we have Steve. Steve has a net worth of $1.2 million. He's in the tech world. He's been an entrepreneur basically his whole life. He has about five hundred k in a paid-for house, about $200,000 in cash, another two hundred in the market, and another two hundred in business equity that will be paid out to him here in, in the fall. So without further ado, let's get into the episode with Steve. Steve, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, so from a very young age, I've been really interested in business and technology. So I call myself sometimes an entrepreneur. I've always, you know, my dad owned a parts store when I was very young and I got really interested in, in business and it was really fun to watch customers come in and him grow the business a bit. And then I also got really involved in technology at a very, you know, very early age. So I remember kind of pre-internet and I was so grateful when other people got an email address because I was the only one that had one for a while. So I got started really early, you know, started my first company at 15, building custom computer systems. Uh, that changed a little bit. I started servicing more. I noticed some some differences than that, and and you know how a lot of people and the margins were a lot smaller on the on the building of computers. And if something broke, you know they blamed you for it all. So I kind of found out that the service side was was a lot more lucrative. And uh, after that, uh, did a little bit of college. Uh, went on a 
uh, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I went on a mission for a couple of years and that really focused my life a lot. It, it gave me some leadership opportunities, helped me talk to people, you know, helped me deal with rejection a lot. And so that really got me even more focused into life and, and what was important. After that, I, I went to college part time and I worked at, at, at the same time. And I actually thought that was a huge benefit and worked at a, a tech company, a startup for about eight years. And it was one of my best learning opportunities. It, it, it wasn't a very well ran company, but I felt like I learned a lot of not what to do. And that was actually I don't think I would have traded that for, for really anything else. And so that, that gave me a lot of experience, experience around the technology that I was using. We worked on a lot of different things. And then when I moved on to the, to the company I'm at now, I looked for some, some things and looked for the, the right people and the right business. And that really kind of set me up for, for where I work now. That's awesome. And what is your net worth today? So right now uh, I'm at about 1.2 million. And how is that broken up? So right now I've got about, we, we paid off our house and that, that was, one of our, kind of our long-term goals, and it's worth about five hundred thousand right now. If we we're to sell it, we actually bought it pretty early, you know, after the the crash, and so we got in at a great price. So five hundred thousand there. Uh, right now, I've got about two hundred thousand in cash, which is actually kind of more than I than I want. Uh, we just had some some of the money come through for the sell of the business that, that I'm at. We sold sold our business about eighteen months ago, and there were some different lockup periods and things. And then I've got about two hundred thousand in the markets. And then I've got about another 200000 that will come from the, the sale of the business in, in September. That's awesome. So the money that's invested in the market, is that in retirement accounts? Is that in bonds? Or kind of what's the breakup of that? Yeah, so I tried to get as much into retirement IRAs as possible. You know, there's limits every year and, and things like that. But yeah, I, it's broken up. My main, the way that I break it up is I've got about 10% in, in international stocks, 10% fixed income. 10% real estate and commodities. Then I've got about 10% individual stocks, about 5% in some private companies that are outside the market. And then the rest uh, pretty much just in the S&P 500 uh, ETF. And, and all these are, are ETFs uh, that I invest in other than, you know, that, that small percentage that I do private or individual companies. Yeah. So does, are those kind of private placement deals or are they tech deals or kind of what, what's your strategy with that? Yeah, so I do have some private, or excuse me, I, I do have some companies that are public that I invest in. So I have, again, a small percentage of, of just ones that I'm really interested in. And, you know, I've studied them out well, and, and it's kind of a fun thing to do. So I, I have some there. And then I do a couple deals with people kind of local that are starting a company, and they need a little bit of, of angel investing. I haven't done a ton of that, but I've, I've definitely got some money there. And then... Uh, uh, I, I have a VC friend that, that, that runs a big fund here that I might be putting some money in this summer. Uh, I've still got to kind of decide on that as well. And Steve, how do you find those companies, some of the angel investing stuff? That's just through that guy or through friends? Yeah, so I'm, I'm the CTO and, and was a founder of the company that I'm at now. And that's where I got the majority of my wealth was during our, our sale about 18 months ago. And it's amazing if you're in technology, especially if you're a founder, a lot of people are, are kind of coming to me. There's a lot of business people out there that, that, you know, they have this great idea about some app or some technology. And so they're, they're actively looking for a, a business partner that, that can do the tech side. And so a lot of these come to me just through people that I know and, and they know of me. And, and that's how I found most of those. So what did you study in college? So I studied information technology and I, <laughs> I took the long route since I worked part time. 
So, you know, I was there six or seven years and, you know, I should have been a doctor, right? But <laughs> uh, I just got my undergrad. Uh, and it was good because I was studying that. Honestly, in my field, college does help, but not that much. You know, I learned a lot just on my own, on my own by, by just studying things myself. But you hear, you know, you know, I think we're hearing more and more that that's a lucrative career, IT and, and computer science and, and these sort of things, because everything's getting more technology and, and data focused. Oh, absolutely. It's it's been just a, such a great field to be in, you know, high demand, get paid really well. I think uh, I've seen a lot of people go into it and there's a lot of boot camps that have sprung up. And I think you've, you've also got to do it more than than just for the money. You know, you've got to actually enjoy the craft and enjoy what you're doing. And it's very tedious and it's very difficult. And so I wouldn't recommend, you know, if you're not great with computers or not great with technical things, I wouldn't recommend going into that field. But if it's something that does interest you and, and you try it out, and you're really enjoying it, you know, it can be an awesome, awesome field to go into. And what's great is, you know, you, you can a lot of times get equity, you know, for this type of work. You know, a lot of companies give out options and things like that. Yeah. So let's talk about how you made your way into that company. So out of college, you, you, you this was your second job, right? So you start, you picked a first job and, and what did you do in that job? And how did you know it was time to switch and, and to jump ship to this new company? Yeah. So when I started that job, it was very entry level. I was still going you know, to school. So I was just working part time. And I, I actually started very much in like customer support and IT support because I've always known how to work on computers. And as I started learning more and more programming, then I, I, I said to them, hey, can I, can I work on some of the stuff? Can I work on this feature or, or whatnot? And they were totally fine with, with me doing that. So as I started doing that, uh, I, I just started getting more and more ingrained in the company. And they liked me and promoted me. And, you know, I was, I was eventually over the head of, of all their development. And so that's, that's kind of how I got into that side of it. And, and when I went to school, I didn't really want to program, you know, full time. But actually, when I got into programming, I, I really loved it because you get this, you know, blank canvas, you can create whatever you want. And it was really enjoyable. And so that's how I got in, into that. And, and I was with that, that first company for about eight years. And I finally decided to move on and, so I found another company that they they were starting out. They already had a little bit of tech, but the person they hired was straight out of college and he didn't really know what he was doing. And I had a lot of experience for that from that eight years. And so I was really able to help them out. And, and so I was able to to, to get an equity deal with them. And, you know, I took less salary so that I could even have more equity. And uh, that's kind of how I got you know set up with the, the company that I'm at now. So let's talk about that. Did did you negotiate that or is is the equity something that they originally offered or did you did you take, you know, you said you took less salary for more equity. Is that something you you wanted or something that they brought up? I think if I were to go in again, I I would have pushed for equity. When I was there, it was more like, "Hey, we've got some equity um and or or we got salary." And I just kind of said, "Hey, I would I would rather take a little bit less salary and more equity if if that's possible." And so it's something that we kind of brought up. And what was great, it was really early on in the company. And so the equity that I got was actually very meaningful as compared to sometimes if you work for a later stage company, they give you equity, they give you some share number, but you don't really know what that means. And if you look into it, it's normally a pretty small amount, actually. Yeah. So, I mean, as much as you're comfortable here, usually we get in, into this in the rapid fire questions. But what were, what was your salary out of school here? So out of school... It was pretty low. So I was working part time. So it was like $12 an hour. And as I moved up and I, I actually switched to full time, uh, full time position and kind of went to college part time. And then that was getting me more up in the like, 
you know, the forty or fifty thousand dollar range, which at the time I thought was a ton of money, right? And my wife was working part time. It was before we had before we had any kids, and so and then that's just kind of went up. Uh, I, I during my career, I think I could have made more money, but I was learning so much uh, at, at that first job, even though it was painful, and so I, I felt like that was worth it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's pretty crazy, right? You got a net worth of 1.2, your mid thirties, you know, earlier before the show, we talked that you shared with us that you have, you have a few kids and, and you're married and your wife hasn't worked. You know, what advice do you give somebody? How are you able to, to build it up so quick? Yeah. So first off, I think, I think a lot of people put off marriage because they think it is going to hurt them financially. And that didn't really make a lot of sense to me. I think our expenses were actually lower when we finally, you know, got married because she was paying rent and I was paying rent. And we were able to combine some of those things. And so it actually, we, we were actually able to drop a lot of expenses when we first got married. And so we worked for, for a time for about two years before we had kids. And, you know, we have a term here we call it dinks, dual income, no kids. And it's awesome <laughs> because you get these two incomes, you don't have kids, you don't have a lot of expenses and it's great. And so she was working and she was doing really well. And, and we, we decided to have our first, uh, child. And we always felt it was important that, that, that she be home, you know, with our children. And it was a hard decision. It was actually a lot harder for her than she, I think, thought, you know, switching from the working world to, to being home and all day and changing diapers and, and all that is a really difficult transition. But we tried to keep expenses low and, and try to do some unique ways of, of earning money during those, those years. You know, an example of that is we, you know, we had a house and we rented out, you know, half of it, you know, to somebody else. And so they were covering half of our, of our rental income, our, our, our mortgage. And so that, that helped a ton. And then just trying to be really frugal. Uh, again, it is, it is difficult. I'm glad we did it. I, I think her being at home with our kids was, was well worth it, even though in the end, you know, we probably lost a lot of money because of it. Yeah. But I think it's a great story. And, and I think it's a story that we ought to share more on this show is, is that, you know, in, in a lot of homes, there is only, one working person, you know, and, and frequently we have two working adults or, you know, two parents that are working and it's easier, right, to, to yeah. save money quickly and to invest and become a millionaire faster. But, you know, for the most part, you guys have just had you working in the home and you've still been able to reach, you know, a net worth of 1.2 million in your mid 30s. So, you know, congrats. I think it's a, a great achievement. Thank you. Thanks. And a, and a big thing on that is, you know, I, I, I tried to find something that had some upside because I, I know I could have saved and, you know, eventually would have you know, probably been a millionaire by, by just saving a lot of money and, and cutting costs, which is still important and we still do. But it was great to have something that, wow, if this business did really well, you know, I could get to these levels way faster than I could, uh, you know, any, any other way. Yeah. And there's some element of risk there, right? Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely. a lot of people that may not take that risk and, and because maybe the, the salary isn't guaranteed or it's a lower salary, right? And, and there's a lot of people that maybe get into that situation and the company doesn't do well. Right. Yeah. And so my, you had yeah. to take some risk for that opportunity too. Yeah. And the first company I was with had equity in that and I was trying to do the same thing and, and it, it was worth nothing. And so, yeah, there's a lot of risk in it. I, I find a lot of joy in that, in that scenario though, where you're, you know, you're kind of being really scrappy and, and, and kind of going after it. But yeah, you you know, a lot of companies fail, especially startups. So you've got to be really careful though. Careful there. Yeah. Yeah. So shifting gears here a little bit, you have, you know, you mentioned 200000 in cash now and you have another 200000 coming from, from the sale of this uh, company, your equity there. What do you plan on doing with that cash? So it's actually been kind of a difficult thing trying to figure out, you know, what to do with that, you know, <laughs> first world problems, right? 
but <laughs> I wanted to do stuff to, to make sure that I was making good investments. So, you know, I thought about some real estate and I, and I thought, well, my house is already paid off. I've got a lot of money already in real estate. I've been a landlord for, you know, for that five years and it was really good. I had great, you know, tenants, but there's, there's a lot of problems with, with renting out maybe a single family home. You know, if someone comes in there and they trash it, they don't pay their rent. It's really difficult to evict them. They can cause a lot of damage and you're, you're doing customer support for them. You know, they're going to call you. It could be any hour of the night. And so you've got a lot of stress there. So I tried to look at some of those numbers and, you know, how much would I make with this? And I was actually shocked at how it wasn't a whole lot better or or even worse in some cases than just putting the money in into an ETF, you know, of of the S&P 500 or, or something like that. So I think I'm going to keep kind of that same strategy. I think if I were to go into real estate, I've, I've been looking at these, you know, maybe like a, a multifamily housing or some of these new products like Fundrise or something like that, that where I don't have to be a landlord. Sure. But I think, I think if you look at the historics, I think it makes a lot of sense to, to put some money or put the money into the markets. And so that's probably what I'm going to do. I'm also going to take some money out and just make sure that I have a lot of the necessities here. You know, if there was a massive, you know, market crash or whatever, you know, the things you really care about are food and water and, 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 you know, clothing and things like that for your family. And so I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm good to go there as well. And then I feel I can be, I can be a little bit riskier on, you know, putting money into the market. Yeah. I think it's something that everybody's thinking about, right? We're recording this in April of 19 and, and, you know, some people think, Hey, maybe the market's at the high or it's going to keep going higher. or There's going to be a housing correction at some point in the next year or two, but I mean, nobody knows when, right? And so I, th- I think a lot of people are sitting on cash and, and unsure of what to do with it, whether to hold it, whether to invest it, or whether to throw it in something now. So obviously something to, to think about. So your your first house, how did you find it? And when did you know you wanted to buy it? And why buy then versus keep renting? Yeah, so the first house we rented, the rental, again, we, we started out very small. You know, it was a very small house, uh, very cheap on rent. And, you know, we had, we always laugh because our first TV stand was a, was a Rubbermaid tote. <laughs> we just like flipped it around and put our TV that someone gave us from the 1970s on it. Right. And it's funny because people start out and they think, man, I need this nice house. Like I grew up in and whatnot. And, you know, we started out in this really crappy basement apartment. So we were by the area. We, we saw a house that was close to it and someone that we knew and it was a really nice house. And, I just kind of did the math and, and I saw that if I rented out the basement, you know, it's not going to be a whole lot more than I'm paying already. So we went into it and we, we thought that was awesome. And, and that was a great house. And, you know, we rented out the basement for about five years and then the, the housing market crashed. And luckily for us, that house actually maintained mo- most of its value. In fact, we made money when we sold it and we found another just awesome house, you know, because the, because the housing crisis, but it was a little bit bigger. And I was, I was scared to death to even buy the house we're in now. And I was even scared to buy our first house. It's just a big, scary financial transaction, but they worked out really, really well. And and in fact, I might've even kept that other house just because I already owned it and I already knew it was a great house and I knew how I could rent it and all that. Uh, so that, that might be kind of a regret that I didn't hold on to it, but we've, we've been really lucky for the houses that we've gotten into. Did you ever have issues finding a tenant or, or finding somebody to come and rent from you? We didn't because we were in a great area. Our our home was newer than a lot of the other ones, and we we lived by two uh, universities, and so we lowered the rent a little bit, and it was a nicer place. And you know, we put it up, and we'd get 
10 calls in a day. And so it, it was one that was really easy to rent out, uh, especially since it was, you know, a lot less than, than renting a full place. It was just renting out of basement. And you didn't have any issues with any of the tenants really either? No, and it was just great that we lived above them and we really tried to vet them. And since we did have, you know, 10 or 20, we could look for. And so we were very lucky in that, in that aspect, because I've, I've seen it go bad. My, my mom's rented to, to somebody and, and all the horror stories that, that you hear, you know, came out. And, and so again, it, it, there was an element of luck, an element of we, we vetted people well and that we lived in the house. Yeah. I kind of want to switch gears a little bit, Steve, and just kind of talk about maybe the, the tech world in general. And, you know, we've got some of these unicorns going IPO this year. I think Lyft already, already has gone IPO and Uber's on, on track. What is it like working at a startup and, and what is it, you know, you're a CTO, co-founder of this company, but you're not riding off into the sunset at $500 million. And there's several companies that are like yours, right, that, that we don't necessarily hear about in the, in the daily news and who's, you know, making the next billionaire move. What is it like being a co-founder or even a founder of a smaller, you know, tech startup and, and who's really, you know, how many people can can expect to kind of have a payday on, on some sort of exit like that with a smaller type company? Yeah. So it's an interesting world. Like valuations are super high. You know, we, we sold our company. We weren't profitable or we were close to profitability, which is actually rare. And we still got 10 times uh, revenue. And so you look at other businesses, services, businesses and whatnot. And you don't get near the the multiples on these, and there's there's a lot of crazy startups out there. You go to San Francisco, and and they pay crazy money, and and uh, and and they live in this this world, this bubble almost. And so there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on, and and I, I don't try to get into that too much. But for for people that might want to go into it, what I what I try to tell people is first off, the equity you have, it's it's not like you can go and sell it to somebody. It's really difficult to do, and so to really get an exit. You've either got to sell the whole company or you've got to go public, which less companies are going public now, or you've got to find some private buyer. And again, that's really, that's really hard. And, and a lot of times there's things in your contract that say they have, you know, first right of refusal. And, and then they also ask questions like, why are you selling your equity? Don't you believe in this? So you've got to realize this is probably a very long term play if you want to exit. The other thing is a lot of times when they're giving out these options, they're expecting to be the next Google. So they might say, yeah, you have equity, you're going to be rich, you know, work day and night. And if you really knew your percentage, it was very, very small. And, and yeah, if you turned into Google, you'd make a lot of money, but, but chances are you won't. And so you've got to be careful of that, uh, careful of that as well. And, and so what I tell people is if they're paying you market salary, great. They give you some equity. Awesome. If they're not paying you that and you're working crazy hours, then I've got to know my percentage and I've got to know the revenues a bit. So I kind of know if it's if it's worth it or not. But again, I think tech's not going away. We might have some ups and downs. The, the revenues, the multiples, you know, just the fact that you can just build a business and just as long as you're getting revenue in, you don't even have to be profitable is really cool. You know, there's a lot of problems with that as well. And, and sometimes people burn through cash way too fast. And I've seen these companies implode because of that. So you've got to be careful as well. But I think it's an awesome industry to be in. Yeah, can you can you maybe shed a little light on 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 what it's like for employees who maybe come at at a you know an angel round and then maybe an A or a B and kind of what what expectations might be for them you know whether they're going to get market salary or not and how much you know options they would get in those scenarios. Yeah, and I think your best case scenario is actually may, maybe start something on the side or you know save up some money enough to where you can 
you can start something and be at for a year because that's where you're going to get the most equity. If you're starting on side or very, very early on, you know, you might have three or four different people and, and you split up four ways. And so that's a lot of equity there. The farther the company gets, the harder it is to get equity. So later on in our, in our company, it was very difficult to give out 1%. And then later on, it was, we were giving out, you know, half of a percent and even less than that. And so as time goes on, it, it does get a lot harder to, to get equity. But, you know, if you do sign up with one of those unicorns and they do really well, even that small amount of equity can be a lot. So you've got to always run that calculation in your head of here's where you are now. Where do I think it could be? Do we see that things are growing? But yeah, every every stage that you go down, that that equity gets harder to get. And so you should just expect that as as time goes on. Yeah, I think overall it's interesting, right? And, And talking about small business. I think oftentimes people think there there maybe isn't as much of an opportunity there, right? Because it's not as sexy, right? The, the name the name isn't known or you've never heard of the company you work for. But in a lot of ways, there's a lot of money in small business and a lot of opportunity, right? Yeah, and, and we're a great example. I tell people where I work and they've never heard of us. And, you know, this year we'll we'll bring in $5 million in revenue. <laughs> and so, you know, that, that that's great. And so... Yeah, there's a lot that, that you don't even ever hear about that people can actually be doing really well at. Yeah. Do you have any uh, debt? You paid out, You said you paid off your house. Any any debt you have? No debt at all. What about credit cards? So I use a credit card. I know, especially like Dave Ramsey's very against them. You've got to be super careful. I have it set up to where it, it pays it off at the end of every month and so that I don't get charged any interest. So what's what I love about that is I get some miles and if I ever need to charge something back, it's so much easier. You know, if you go and pay in cash and some merchant screws you over, you know, you, it's going to be really hard to get your money back. And I, I've had instances where I've had to do a charge back. And so I am glad I, I paid it with a credit card for those things. But you got to be super careful if you don't pay it off. You can get into the debt so easy. So it's just one of those things. It's a it's a sharp tool and just be really careful with it. Yeah. So you're pretty young to have a paid for house. Did you guys aggressively try and pay that down or did you have it on a 15 year term? Yeah. So we, that's been one of our goals is to pay it off. And so we put a lot more extra money as much as we could on the house. And then, yeah, we refinanced for 15 years and it was actually kind of a hard decision to pay it off because when, when I had the exit and had the money, you know, we were at like a two and a half interest rate, percent interest rate. And so I'm thinking to myself, (laughs) <laughs> you know, it probably makes more sense to put the money in the market. But we also had set the goal and, and you know, if I want to go work for another startup, I don't have to worry about that expense. And so we decided to put it on the house and, and, uh, it does feel really great to, to be debt free, even though, you know, I might, might have left some money on the table. Gotcha. Yeah. It's an interesting topic. And I think, and it's a topic that comes up frequently on the show is when to pay it off. Right. And especially with interest rates low and they may even be coming down a little bit more. You know, should they, should I pay off my house, right? Yep. Or should I just put it on a thir- uh, 30 year and, and kind of keep it going? But risk, I guess, was the main factor for you there. Yep. So has, has this financial security and, and millionaire status affected your confidence and happiness levels at all or, or not so much? Yeah. So definitely confidence. I, I feel a lot more confident in giving advice and things like that. As far as like lifestyle, I don't think anyone would know we were, we're millionaires. We, we kind of agreed that we would be super conservative and not spend that money, uh, you know, for things. And so we're trying to live the same lifestyle that we lived before. As far as happiness, what's really bizarre is I've actually been, uh, I've been less happy, uh, since I became a millionaire, if that sounds kind of sounds weird, <laughs> but 
you know, the issue with it was just, I was so driven. That was one of my big goals. Uh, I was so excited with our, our startup. And then after the sell, it was like, we, we were adopting a child, one of our children, you know, our, our team members were leaving. We never, no longer had control of the company. And I actually lost a lot of purpose in life because I was like, wow, I hit one of my major goals and I didn't think I was going to hit it this soon. And so, you know, I had all these questions in my mind, like, well, what's, what should you do now? And what's your purpose in life? And should you do charity work? Should you do this, that, or the other? And then it's this weird feeling of loss, you know, a fear of loss. So now I'm like, man, do I put the money in the market? And what if it drops? And what if I lose all this money? And so you have that, you know, to worry about. And it sounds stupid, right? First world problems, but you know, it's, it's not everything that it was cracked up to be. Uh, it, it just gives you a little bit more confidence, more security. But the things that really bring bring you joy, uh, bring me joy, is, is building something. It's working with great people. It's my family. Uh, I, I, I'm glad that I have it. But but again, it's not a it's not one of those things that you know you, you think you become a millionaire and all your problems go away. Sure. Was this a goal ever? Something that you thought about, or, or not so much? Yeah, yeah. And it, it was one of those things. I always wanted to be a millionaire, and I said, hey, if I could at least just get to a million dollars. You know, that'd be great. I just keep my expenses low. And so, yeah, it's definitely been a goal. I didn't know exactly when I'd hit it, but but I wanted to hit it as, as soon as I could. Sure. So now going forward, has the goal shifted? Is, is the goal higher? Is there a passive income goal or a net worth goal or any other financial goal? Yeah. So my goal now is, you know, I still I still want to work. I, I, I've seen people that they go live on a beach, they get bored, you know, then they get into a bunch of you know drugs or alcohol or whatever. And the people that normally are really ambitious, that that's like the worst thing for them. Like they're, they're happy when they're building something. And so I want to keep working. And my goal now is just to get to where I could have enough uh, passive income in to, to totally pay myself. So I just want to become financially independent. And then I can work on what I want to work on. And I, I can do a little bit more charity and, and things like that. So that's that's kind of the next goal. And and to get there, I'm, I'm hoping to get another million in the next, say, five years or you know, ten to to thirty thousand a month in, in cash flow. Gotcha. And are, and we talked about this a little bit before we were recording, but are you planning to retire early, or does that not interest you so much? No, I don't think I'll ever get to where I'm. I'm totally retired, unless you know, maybe I'm seventy, seventy five, and I'm my, my health's really bad. But I, I I think it's better for people to continue to work. I've seen people that retire and their health goes you know goes to pot, and I'd like to get to where maybe I don't have to grind it. That is hard, but I, I, I think working and working on things you love and enjoy is, is very beneficial. Yeah. So I want to ask you about uh, mistakes you've made, whether in investing in your life and then and then also advice uh, for people. But before we jump into that, let's just let's do some quick rapid fire questions and then we'll close with the mistakes and advice. So the most expensive jeans or pair of pants you've ever purchased? I don't spend a lot on jeans and I, I keep them for a long time. So he's probably 50 bucks. Okay. Most expensive shoes? I did buy some running shoes. Those were the most expensive. I normally wouldn't spend that much. They were like 110. Uh, but I've actually got a pair of Doc Martens that my wife says she's going to bury me with them because I've worn them for so long. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do try to keep shoes for a long time and, and, and not, not buy a lot of them. Okay. Most expensive car. So I did splurge a little bit. I did buy a truck recently. Uh, that was part of my goal. One of the things that I wanted to do, you know, so I spent 40000 on it, which was a lot. And I, I almost regret it a little bit. But my plan is to keep it for 15 or 20 years just to really get the use out of it. Okay. Most expensive meal out that you've personally paid for? Um, about 120 Okay. 
what item or items or experiences have, have been spent worth spending more money on? Where do you kind of splurge? So I know everyone says experiences and I, I agree. I think you can take that too far and, and, and try to go to these really exotic places. Uh, so I think finding things that are local, you can save a lot of money and still get, you know, 90% of the benefit. The other thing I think is smarter is to rent a lot of things. You know, if you only go take the boat out once or twice a year, don't buy a boat. You know, it's, it's going to cost you way more. And sometimes that rental price is, it, it hurts a little bit. For example, recently I rented a Jeep and we did some off-road trails and, you know, I got the best Jeep and it cost me 300 bucks and that seems like a lot, but that's less than one payment. And I only go Jeeping, you know, once a year. And so I think, uh, I think renting things, especially if you don't use it very much is, is the better way to go. Yeah, that's good advice. Uh, what's not worth the money or what have you tried to, to save on or what are you cheaper on? So I try to cheap out on the stuff that I don't care about so that I have money for the things that I do. And so like clothing and like upgrading houses all the time and upgrading, you know, the inside of your house, buying new appliances, you know, all that stuff I don't think is worth the money. Um, alcohol, drugs, those type of things. It's just a, just a waste of money. It hurts your health. And so I think, uh, I also think if you can spend a little more and find something quality that's going to last, I think that's worth it as well. But but just the stuff that, you know, the new iPhone, you know, I've got an old iPhone I get made fun of, but I'm just going to use it till it dies and then I'll, uh, then I'll get a new one. I'm, I'm not going to upgrade every six months or a year. And so just things like that, th- those go a long way and it costs a lot of money just trying to keep up with the Jones and, and, and get, you know, get these things. You and me, man. I still got an SE, and I get made fun of all the time for it. Hey, that's what I have, an SE. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh, what was your uh, high school and college GPA, if you can remember? So high school, I didn't do well. Uh, you know, wasn't focused at all. I, I mean, probably in the twos. Uh, when I got back from my mission, I was way better focused, and I had to get into an, uh, a higher grade university. So I found out that I could actually do well, and I got a four zero my first semester. I think I finished though probably around a three five. Okay, how much do you spend a year? Your family household spending? We probably spend, and we've got four kids, so that, that hurts a little bit, but, uh, we probably spend 80. Okay. Uh, favorite books? I love, uh, How Will Your Major Your Life by, uh, Clayton Christensen. It's one of my favorites. I love the books by Basecamp, Getting Real and Rework. Brick by Brick was a great one. The, it's a Lego story and their turnaround. Uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team was great. And I also like to listen to Ramsey, although I don't agree with everything, but he's great because he kicks you into gear and, and, and tries to help you not spend as much money. Yeah. Any tech tools or, or websites or investment apps or anything you recommend there for, for personal finance or life? Yes, yeah, so I, I use Robinhood a lot for finances and, and, and Schwab is really great as well for some of the retirement accounts. So I use those. I use Mint for budgeting. Every little category, I've tried to simplify that a little bit so that it doesn't take as much time. Um, and then there's a lot of like programming tools that I use and things like that. But I, I am a big fa- fan of uh, Apple and, and Macs and, and some of their products. Awesome. So you've mentioned a couple times during our conversation here, you've had goals to do something, you know, whether it was pay off the house or buy your truck or whatever else. How has goal setting played a role in your life? Are you a big goal setter? Do you goal set with your wife? Maybe talk about that a little bit. I try to set some bigger goals and then, and then smaller ones. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of New Year's resolutions just because no one ever does them. No one ever finishes, but I try to set the higher goals and then try to set some goals that will actually help you. Some people get, you know, setting a goal for every little thing and they have a hundred goals and, you know, just to maintain, you know, how you're following up on those is, is too hard. So I think goal setting is really important though. And I, I actually think 
you have a lot more control over your, over your life and your outcomes more than, than you think. And so I think it's really important to focus in on, on what you really want in life and, and go after those goals. You mentioned earlier one of the mistakes you might have made was, was not going for, for more equity. What, what mistakes would you kind of put into that category that, that maybe are regrets or some things that you would have changed had you, you know, now that you're 15 years along the road since, since college and whatnot? Yeah, so one, one that happened recently that really sucked was I, when, when our company was bought, we actually got some stock in the new company. And uh, the new company actually just recently sold themselves, and I sold all my stock as soon as I could, and so I missed out on a forty percent bump if I would have kept it, you know, two more months, right? So I a new mantra I live by is always leave a little bit in. So even on some of your individual stock, you know, if it's going really well and you exit, I, I'm kind of the point. I'm I'll probably always leave a little bit of money in if I can into to all my investments because you could miss a ton of upside. So that's one. Uh, other mistakes. I, I think it's super important to live a balanced life. And so your health, for example, and, and exercise and sleep, you can still be successful and still do those things. You know, the worst thing would be to, to, to have a lot of money and have terrible health and, and, and it's too late for you. And, and so I think, I think always keep up with your exercise is really important. And then kind of the last one is I, I think I've always, would have put money into some sort of retirement account because right now I have a lot of money and I, I can't put them into IRAs because I'm limited. And so even if it's a little small amount and you have a 401k, for example, or something like that, I would, you know, figure out some amount. If it's $5 a month, whatever, just get some money in your retirement accounts and don't touch it. And I wish I would have done that my entire life. When did you start putting money into a, a retirement account? So it hadn't been until like the last like five years. I, and we were smart. We were putting money in our house, uh-huh. but I, I think I would have always put money ever since, you know, I was 16. If I were to go back, I would have put some amount of money into retirement accounts every single month. I, I'm just curious kind of how, how that shift changed just say in your early thirties. Was it always something that was kind of on your mind, just didn't really do it? Or did you kind of just not really learn about it until you hit your early thirties? Or why, why was that? Why did you not end up, you know, contributing earlier? Yeah. So I always kind of knew, I mean, I had mutual funds when I was like 16. So I, I always, and I sold those when I got married. And so there was a period of time where I was really, you know, when, when we had our first kid or second kid, it was, it was hard to get by. And, and so I think I, I use that even as an excuse. And so to not put money in there. And so, yeah, it was just kind of life happened. And then the money that we were saving, we were just putting all in the house and we were doing that for like the last five or 10 years. And so again, I would have took some of that money that we were paying the house down on and, and put that into retirement. I see. I want to go back just to, to one thing you mentioned at the very beginning about leaving some skin in the game. Kind of maybe walk us through the mindset that you had when you kind of took all the chips off the table, if you will. What were you thinking? Why did you do it? Kind of what was the strategy there? I mean, obviously now you're, you're, you wish you hadn't, but what was the, the strategy and kind of the thought process at the time? Yeah, so it was it was actually a lot of money. I think it was like 200k that was in the stock. And so for my I mean, think about your portfolio. What if you had $200,000 in one stock? Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't seem like a very smart move. You know, that what if the market drops? What if the company doesn't do well? And so I think it was smart to take some out just so that I wasn't quite so all in on one stock. So I actually think that was wise. 
in some some sense. I mean, if I, if I were to look back, I totally would have kept it in for two more months. But uh, it it was it just seemed like a little bit easier because I you know the way we had to get the money, they were they were a foreign company, and so I'd have this weird account, you know, at some foreign bank uh, that that have that stock in, and so I just kind of wanted to make a clean break. Uh, but again, I, I you know I'm, I'm not going to do that again, even with the complexity. I'll if I have some stock, I'll probably leave a little bit in, uh, you know, at any point. But you know, for for most most of the time, for general good advice, I still think that's smart not to have that much money in one stock. So I, I kind of made the right decision in a lot of ways, just the wrong timing. So yeah. just you know, bad luck, right? So I want to I want to get into your mind just a little bit here for a second because you're you're risky enough to want to go and 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 play in the startup world, right? And build something from the ground up and you enjoy it. But you also have that conservative side that you've kind of shed light on that that you want to pull some chips off the table. Now you've kind of said maybe not all of them. How does how does your mind kind of think about the risk in terms of building a startup, but then also kind of play that safe side and having, you know, and maybe it's changed for you, especially since you've got the house paid off, right? Like you can go take bigger risks, like you said earlier. But how does that kind of work in your head? playing the startup game, but then also taking chips off the table and whatnot and being somewhat conservative in other investments. So it's kind of funny because I'm always arguing against myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think you're right. I've gotten more risky at, at this point. Now that I have a bit of a nest egg, I'm, I'm willing to take more risks. But even without that, I mean, we live in such a great, great time. Like, let's say you go work for a startup. Let's say it fails terribly. What what are you really out? It's it's not like back in the day to where you couldn't find another job and and you're you know the, you couldn't find any food for your family. Like we have a lot set up in our society to where if if the startup fails, well, worst case scenario is you go find another job and and you might have gained some great experience there, right? So I I actually wish I was a little riskier, even though I did take some risk. But uh, I think you know you only live once as well, and and you, you've got to balance being risky but not being risky. Yeah. and because i've seen that too where someone starts a business they max out their credit cards their home equity they're they're taking loans from their family and i i, I think that's reckless i i don't think that's going to end well yeah yeah what would be your your final words for advice for our listeners a uh, big one is your your self-worth does not equal your net worth so the important things in life are 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 you a good family member are you a good husband father are you a good person? You know, I, I'm not willing to trade those for money. You know, so I'm not going to be dishonest. I'm not going to be a jerk. Th- those things aren't worth it to me. And so, you know, have balance in your life. Make sure you spend time with your family. Uh, the, you know, I've been to a few startup uh, presentations and some of the people are like, man, I didn't see my kids for 12 years. I was just so busy. And I'm like, you, you know, you're never going to get that time back. Mm-hmm. You know, th- that 12 years is gone. And, and those were really important years. And so make, I, I think the message is you can still be successful. You can still take some risk, but also keep a good balance there and make sure you're exercising, make sure you're improving yourself, make sure you're being a good person. Awesome. That's Steve with a net worth of $1.2 million and rising quickly. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a lot of fun. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.